Hello there, welcome back. I'm Pastor Lars Hammer here from Lord of Grace Lutheran Church in Marana, Arizona. I wanna welcome you back to the Walk Through the Psalms Bible Study. Today we're gonna to look at a little bit more of Psalm 77. So let's get to it. We'll read through this in the New Revised Standard Version translation. Uh, I'll give a little background and look at some, share some thoughts on what the text might mean for us today. So let's read through this first. Uh, start, just read four through six. You keep my eyelids from closing. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old and remember the years of long ago. I commune with my heart in the night. I meditate and search my spirit. Ah, uh, lots of deep stuff in this one. You have to picture, I picture the psalmist being somebody who sits and can't quite get to sleep. You know that feeling when you're tired all day and then you lay down at night and suddenly right there at that moment when you've stopped working, when you stop doing things and you've decided that you're gonna sleep, that's the exact moment you can't sleep because then everything that stresses you out during the day or everything that's been bugging you suddenly comes to the forefront. For me, that tends to happen not so much when I try to go to sleep as maybe later in the night, say if I wake up at 3 or 3.30 in the morning. Suddenly, it'll be dead quiet and dark in the house and everything is still. And at that exact moment, that exact moment, suddenly my mind starts worrying about everything that I've been worrying about. But I really do think there is a truth to saying that when we stop working, when we stop putting in effort, when we stop running around to take care of this or that business thing that we have to do, and we sit there in the stillness in the night, that is when all those things that we've been repressing during the day, those emotions, and sometimes they can be happy and oftentimes they're frustrating. Again, I'll speak for myself that often those things that come to me in the middle of the night, those, those emotions, those things, they're not necessarily the best ones. They're often unresolved frustrations, right? Arguments that I haven't made, uh, but I make to myself. Uh, frustrating political things I haven't, I don't feel like I have control over. There's often a sense of powerlessness that comes to you at that moment late at night, like you're retrying the case, but you have nobody to listen to, nobody to try it to. It's just you and God right there in the dead in the middle of the night to try to argue this case together. But there's something really true about that. So an interesting line, you keep my eyelids from closing. So the psalmist is saying that this is God doing it. In essence, it's God who's keeping him from a good night's rest. And it's God who's insisting uh, that his eyes be open so that he's awake and alert and able to digest, uh, process, work through, uh, become aware of all these different things that are in his heart, in his mind, all these unresolved struggles, that God's the one keeping his mind open to these things. Again, it's an idea about God that I come back to is that God's job isn't always to give us comfort and good feelings and to make our pain go away. I think often God's job is sometimes to expose us to the things that are there that we don't want to be aware of, that we don't want to acknowledge, and that a relationship with God and a spiritual life with God will often involve a lot of opening up, 
and being honest with ourselves at the same time that we are honest with God. Remember, when you're praying to God for something and mentioning something in your prayers, you are mentioning it to yourself. When you're admitting to God what you've done, you're admitting it to yourself as well. And so a large part of God's job is to open us up to be fully aware of ourselves and the things going on in our hearts and our minds. And so in this case, what God is opening his eyelids to is trouble, right? And it says, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. You know how sometimes you're up in the middle of the night and you can't sleep because you're, again, arguing in your mind something, you're making a case. Here, the trouble is so deep, it's so intense, so severe, that the, the psalmist says that basically uh, he can't even speak. He's run out of words. It's just almost like a pure shock, right? Have you ever been in that place when you're so exhausted or so tired or so burned out where you just sit there? And, and you can't, you're, not, you're not at rest, but you're just sitting there. You're not doing anything, but you feel like you're doing everything because what you've been doing is running and running and running and running and running, and you've not been allowing yourself to be in the moment with the things that are on your mind. And so here the psalmist is saying that he's laying down to go to bed, but God's prying his eyes open, and the trouble is so intense that he can't even argue and debate it. It's almost like a shock like it's unprocessed and now has to suddenly be processed and it's just too much to handle. And words do not process it well. I do sometimes think too, and I think this is an important reminder, we can put an overemphasis on words in the spiritual life. A lot of the greatest mystics and prayer warriors and monks and such uh, use very few words and often believe that words can get in the way of a more raw and unfiltered and more honest experience of God. That coming to the presence of the holy often takes away our words, right? And the same thing can happen with trouble, right? Trouble can take away our words, especially if we're shocked, especially if we're overwhelmed. So, verse 5, I consider the days of old and remember the years of long ago. So what does the psalmist do? You know, overwhelmed with trouble, just goes back. Remembers how it used to be. Remembers what was. Remembers what God did a long time ago. Right? I think that's important, too. When you're having one of these sort of long, dark nights and you're sitting there, you're stressed, it's easy in those moments to feel like that's how it's always been and to not be able to have a bigger picture of what came before and what might come after. You don't have much context, right? When you're sitting and you're in the midst of sort of an emotionally overwhelming situation, you're not always in the best place to put things in context. All you can see and feel is what's right there, right now. Remembering when a time when things weren't like this, remembering when you were able to handle it, Remembering when you overcame things way more difficult. Remembering all the people who, who are there to bring you through it. Remembering what God has done for you in your life, in the past, to help bring you through all those things. Those things put some context to it. And so this is what the psalmist is doing. The psalmist is sort of sitting there exhausted and speechless and then saying, you know what? 
Let's go back and remember. Remember how things were. Has it always been this stressful? You know, some of that can be an escape. I get it. We can get nostalgic. I don't think that's what the psalmist is doing here. I don't think the psalmist is trying to remember the old days to escape what's now. I think the psalmist is just remembering because it's putting it in context. And it is giving a bit of a contrast. Um, you know, what life is like. Life is full of up and downs. Um, and then six. What a wonderful, what a wonderful uh, verse. I could do a whole study just on this verse. I commune with my heart in the night. I meditate and search my spirit. Gosh, what deep words. I commune with my heart at night. I'm not sure how many of us, especially in super busy modern industrialized Western world, actually are in good conversation with ourselves. I don't know how many of us have really taken the time, or when we have the time, to be, on, to be honest and just sort of reflect on ourselves and acknowledge what we're actually feeling. I commune with my heart. It's almost like the, the psalmist's heart have been going other directions, right? Or uh, often we bottle, maybe we bottle things and repress things, or we just choose not to think about it, right? I got a job to do. I got things I have to produce. I got to come home. I got to get these kids to all these practices. I do not have the time or the energy right now to think about what I'm actually feeling. I don't have the time to be. There's no time to be. I just got to go, 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 go. Well, when do we end up having time to be? Sometimes that ends up coming at the middle of the night when we finally stop and all that stuff we've been trying not to deal with and not acknowledge and not struggle with, the conversation with our own hearts, we haven't had that all day. But now at night, now we can have that. I commune with my heart at night. I'm finally becoming more one with myself. I meditate, the second half, I meditate and search my spirit. I search my spirit. Right now, now I can sit and look in myself and say, where am I? Uh, what am I actually thinking and feeling here? Where is my heart? I think a lot of times when we get caught up in particularly angry, hateful kind of emotions, I don't think we're conscious of it. I don't know anyone who says, right now, I'm really angry, so I'm dumping hate at so-and-so. We don't think of ourselves that way. We might think of ourselves as legitimately outraged, right? I've been wronged, we'll say. But do we stop and say to ourselves, I am right now in a state filled with hate. We don't say that. Nobody wants to admit that of themselves. We, we give it another label and we push through it. And we push through it in an unreflective way. I have not met many people who take a lot of time to sit and reflect on themselves, to examine themselves and their own lives, and who take that seriously, and who put that seriously in context and ask some hard questions, you know. When I say this thing about whoever, is that a loving thing to say? Is that an angry or a hateful thing to say? 
I, I've never found anyone who takes the time to ask those questions, to really, truly reflect, to really, truly name what's really there, who then continues to be hateful. We only are hateful when we convince ourselves we're not. But I, I am convinced that being hateful and that approach to the world is large part a symptom of not wanting to examine the spirit, of not wanting to commune with your heart. Because if your heart is filled with ugliness, who wants to spend time with that? Instead, I will go and turn on the cable news channel that will validate my biases, reassure me that I've been wronged, and continue to pump up that righteous anger in me, and help me continue to focus on something else rather than challenging me to reconsider my actions and my behavior. I commune with my heart in the night. I meditate and search my spirit. Wonderful, wonderful words. Let's go on. And this is the second, this is sort of the next few verses of that, verses 7 through 10. Let's read through those. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love ceased forever? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Salah, it's like refrain. And I say, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. Follow this here. He decides in the last one that he's going to meditate, right? He's going to commune with his heart and meditate on his spirit. How does he do that? Sits down and asks some very deliberate, pointed questions. And these are, these are faith questions, right? But they are legitimately asking questions and are the kind of questions that can take you down a road that isn't always comforting or reassuring. Will God spurn us forever and never be favorable? I wonder if what the psalmist is really saying is, it feels like God is gonna spurn me forever, or this is what I think God's doing. Is this really what's happening? Will God really spurn forever? Uh, and some more, right? Has his love ceased forever? When you're in the moment and the love has ceased, it certainly feels like forever. Time goes more slowly than it ever could in those moments, right? It flies when you're having fun, but when you've been spurned and rejected, it lasts forever. But the truth is, in God, it doesn't last forever, but it always feels like that. But do we name it? Naming what we're feeling. Is his love going to be forever? How about his promises? Ooh, now we're looking into the future. Is he really going to follow through on his promises? He said so, but I'm not feeling it. I'm not seeing it. Again, continuing to examine faith, but continuing to put God to the test. He's, he's reflecting on his own spirit, but he's putting God to the test, you know? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Wow. These are big questions, right? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? What a great line. In anger, shut up compassion. Anger can shut up compassion, right? When we are angry, we wall off our hearts from the pain of others. When we open our hearts to the pain of others, 
then we are being compassionate, but it's also harder to be angry. A news channel that gives you an angry talking head to tell you how you've been wronged and those people have screwed you over is not encouraging you to say, well, let's talk about the difficulties that those people are going through and the hurts in their lives and let's have a conversation and interview them and talk about the ways that you know they're going through struggles too no it's they screwed you you've been wronged get angry and fight well if you do that yeah you're walling yourself off you're the one that's forgotten compassion and forgotten to be gracious and then in verse 10 you kind of get this little add-on at the end of the psalm Again, Salah, that's kind of a ref either a refrain or maybe a cut to the musical interlude. We're not certain. But after all this meditating, all this contemplating, all this searching of the soul, what do we get? Uh, I say it's my grief that it's my grief that the right hand of the Most High, it's, a, it's my grief that God has changed. It's my grief. As I've been processing all this and asking all these questions, what it really boils down to is my grief. And what God is doing is God is and has changed my grief. And isn't anger oftentimes a symptom of loss? Right? Anger is about powerlessness. It's about a feeling of injustice plus powerlessness. You have to have both. And what is grief but somebody, somebody, something is gone, it's been taken away, it's not coming back, there's a loss, and you're powerless to do anything about it. And it isn't right and it isn't fair. Grief is full of that. But what has God done? God is changing his grief from a position of anger to a position of compassion. But it doesn't feel like that because now that I have to feel the compassion, it really hurts. It's hard. Opening yourself up to compassion is hard. One of the beauties of the spiritual life is that when it's just you and God sitting down in the middle of the night with your eyes propped open, there's no one else listening. There's no one watching. There's no one judging. When you bring to God what's on your heart, there's no third party sitting there listening going, ha ha, it's just you and God, right? It's just you and God. And so you can be honest with God and not have to worry about how that affects your losing face and your appearance with your peers and the people around you. All right, that's what I got on Psalm 77. I hope that's been helpful for you. As always, feel free to message me or send a give me a comment, uh, send me a message, any concerns you have. Uh, we'll be back next week with more of the Psalms. I hope you have a great week, and I hope you are able uh, to examine uh, and commune with your heart. God bless.